This is probably the second hardest thing that I never had to do. First thing was losing my mom, and the second thing is losing football. CCR 85, November 11th, 2009. This edition of Cat Crave Radio was brought to you by PanthersFans.com. Cats fans, get your Carolina Panthers fixed with all the guys and gals over at PanthersFans.com. Stay up to date with the latest news, transactions, and discussions only at PanthersFans.com. CCR. D'Angelo Williams, 30, 25, 10, 5, hot stop! Maybe Nam's in the building. Still on the mission, though. Still on the mission. Welcome to the show created and produced by fans for the fans of the Carolina Panthers. This is Cat Crave Radio. Coming up in this episode, we are joined by Darren Gant of the Rock Hill Herald to get his insights on the team. Nick Yeoman once again provides the fans' perspective. We will check in with the enemy, and we have a recap of the loss to the Saints. D'Angelo Williams across midfield. Inside the 30, he will take it all the way for a touchdown. Takes a draw play, sets up the throw. Got time, taken out, fumble the ball. Ball's loose on the field. Panthers have it at the 12-yard line. Wing eye formation. The wing back is the tight end, Barnage. Here's a wide zone to the right. D'Angelo Williams breaks into the clear, and he scores right up the chute. Touchdown, Carolina Panthers. Carolina in there straight, 4-3. Breeze looking right, throwing right, intercepted Gamble. Gamble picks it off down the near sideline. 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Tight roping. And crushed at midfield out of bounds. 32 yards. John Casey field goal attempt from out of the Baker hole. Casey has it up onto the netting, and he got it. Kyle the snap. Brunel puts it down. Carney puts it up. Then he puts it through. The ball rests just inside the 10-yard line. And here's Breeze handing it off to Thomas. Pierre Thomas is going to get in. Here's Breeze stepping up, delivering the football. Leaping reception, Mason. Three to 20. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. 40-yard attempt by Carney. Carney, upcoming, snap, placement, hold, on its way, plenty of leg, and it is good. First and ten Panthers, they'll start from their two, handing it off on the run, and the ball is free on the ground. The Saints have picked it up, Harbaugh picks it up, he's in the end zone, touchdown Saints. There we go, the New Orleans Saints 30, and the Carolina Panthers 20. Now, buckle your chin straps because it's time for kickoff. Here is your host for CCR, John White. Jake? and the Foxman have seen their winning streak in the bayou go down the drain. Welcome to another edition of Cat Crave Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Stat line of the week. D'Angelo Williams, 21 carries, 149 yards, two touchdowns, including the opening score of the game on a 66-yard run. Combined with one fumble that the Saints returned for a touchdown of their own to seal the deal. It was that kind of game for the Panthers, and it's been that kind of season. After building a 14-0 lead in the first quarter, Carolina exchanged field goals with the Saints and headed to the locker room, leading 17-6. The second half was a different story, as we all know. The defense, the one that had played so well in the first half to help the team build their lead, broke down to allow too many big plays, and it all adds up to a 30-20 loss in New Orleans. Are we happy about it? Are any of the fans happy with this loss in the trying times that have marked the first half of the Panthers' season? Don't count on it. Hello. 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 Hello.
It's time for Panthers fans to sound off. Yeah, uh, please, can can the owner of the Panthers fire uh, John Fox because he continues to start Jake DeLome and Jake DeLome obviously can't play. I mean, I like him. He's a nice guy, but he's they need to put Matt Moore in. Uh, I, I just want to get that out there. All right, for the second call, I'm going to ask you if you've got kids in the room to send them out for just a moment. We got our very first crank call this week, and you'd know it would happen after a loss to the Saints. Why not? Well, let's check the call. This is unedited. Check it out. Who that? Who that? Who that says going to beat them Saints? Not the pussies. Our thanks to everybody who has called us in recent weeks. Yes, even the crank caller. If you want to make your voice heard, give us a call on the Cat Crave Radio hotline at 206 206- Three five zero nine six seven three and leave a message. We'll use what you have to say right here on the show. The number again is two zero six three five zero nine six seven three. The opportunities to catch Atlanta have passed us by. So with this loss to the Saints, the Panthers now lead the Bucks by two games, trail the Falcons by two, and the Saints by five. Yes, five. What's up next isn't the kind of game that looks easy on paper, that's for sure, not considering how Carolina fared in the first meeting this season, as the Panthers host the Atlanta Falcons. You know, I thought, you know, again, these games have ebbs and tides, and, you know, we were not overconfident by any stretch. You know, we've played this team before, and you know their potency on offense, and, you know, we just knew it was going to be a 60-minute game, and it was. You know, that Jake managed the game well. I mean, he's done that for a lot of games, uh, you know, we had our chances, and, you know, unfortunately we came up a little bit short today, and, you know, just kind of like how I coached and how the rest of us played just came up short. It's time now for the Panther preview. Some honesty from John Fox. My goodness, the man says, we came up short the way I coached and the way we played. Joining us for the Panther preview, it's our old friend Nick Yeoman. What's up, Nick? What is going on, John? I don't think I could have put it any better than old Foxy did. He's pretty brutally honest about there. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of things that, that you like from that game. A lot of things that uh, boy are going to leave some sour taste in the Panthers fans' mouths uh, for quite a long time. Well, as I said at the top, Jake and the Fox man, their winning streak is over. It's done. What a way to lose! Good Lord! And who thought after the way everybody finished? I know we all had to be thinking after that 08 season you know we've got unfinished business the players talked about it the fans all felt the same way 09 it's going to be a new season baby and here we come but instead we're at the midway point three and five come on who'd have thunk it yeah no i it, it, it wouldn't have been myself and i'm sure it wouldn't have been you or, or many of these other panthers fans either and that's that's what i don't get i mean i I think if you want to look strictly at the New Orleans game, you talk about unfinished business, the Panthers paying back Arizona last week. New Orleans, obviously, they had a game they could have won that last week of the season against the Panthers, so they wanted to, they certainly had a little revenge on their mind, but I, I don't, I don't get it. And that really, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be as shocked because this is the National Football League for you. You know, one year you're up, you don't make a lot of changes, and you think you're great with 21, uh, eventually 20 starters back from a year ago, a 12 and 4 team, and, and it just it doesn't work out that way. And 
And boy, I mean, just like, you know, as much as Panthers fans are asking for questions, you know, the Titans fans are doing the same thing. And, and many other teams that thought that they could just bounce right back. The Giants fans, can you imagine what they're going through right now? So it's the National Football League. For some reason, for some reason, the Carolina Panthers have never put together back-to-back winning seasons. And halfway through, I uh, got to be honest, like I can't see, I can't see them breaking that trend and, and pulling out a winning season. It's only going to get rougher. And, and it is, as you said, that is a brutal, brutal way uh, to lose a game to, to be outscored twenty-four to three in the second half. It's it's getting ugly. Yes, certainly getting ugly. Well, and here we are. Injuries last year. We we actually got out of the season. I mean, and one reason that I think we played as well, or the team played as well as they did in '08, the defense had all eleven starters for the first. I think it was the first fourteen games of the season. Suddenly now, major injuries. We just lost Thomas Davis for the season. The guy went on IR. His 09 season is over. He was on pace, of course, easily to make the Pro Bowl. So, ouch. And now what? Well, yeah, that's that's a tough question because, as you said, Thomas Davis was having uh, easily the best start of his career, best, best start of a season that his career has ever had, and, and really one of the best starts I think a Panthers linebacker has ever had. And there's been some... Some pretty darn good ones that have come through Charlotte in, in the short span of this of this franchise's history, and this one this one hurts. I mean, if if anyone if anyone deserved Julius Peppers one million dollars a game so far this season for this Panthers team, it, it, there's no question it would have been Thomas Davis. And yeah, as you said, now what? Who do you plug in there? You know, I'm sure Landon Johnson's going to get a really good look. James Anderson's going to get a good look. It'll be interesting to see if Dan Connor will ever get a good look. But whoever it is cannot make the plays that Thomas Davis was, was making this season, and whether it be you know running up and stopping the run a couple-yard loss or making the interceptions that we've seen. So that loss is certainly, certainly going to hurt. It's going to hurt the running game. It's going to hurt the passing game on defense, and it's really a shame because this is a guy that's got a contract year, contract coming up, so uh, he was certainly looking to cash in and, and make some money and, and really help his team, and boy, it's just a shame to, to see his season cut half short. Well, I got to admit it, and and you and I, I, we talk Panthers every week, and I'm sure there are people that are that are listening and that watch your videos, and you know, it, it seems like if we're in a bad mood, we want to talk about it even more. But somehow, I just want to move on to the grades, put this one in the books, and leave it alone. But let's just go on and grade the defense and and get your thoughts on that. Through a half, I don't know how you couldn't give the defense an A after that first half. I mean, to keep the New Orleans Saints out of the end zone uh, was just spectacular. But in the second half, man, the tackling was bad. Coverage breakdowns. I mean, Chris Gamble went up and just tried to give a guy a little chest bump on one of those and just just whiffed. Um, So I think the defense, you have to give them a C. I mean, to, to really to hold New Orleans to 23 offensive points, um, considering what they had been putting up, you, you throw out that last defensive touchdown. It's not bad, uh, but not good enough. So I give the defense a C. The star was D'Angelo Williams on offense until he became the goat late in the game. Let's grade the offense. I think the offense gets a D. I mean, just uh, yeah, the great one touchdown run was fantastic, but that doesn't make up for the ball control issues. That something that I, I didn't really see happening for the Panthers. I never thought that'd really be an issue with Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams putting the ball on the ground, and, and they have no trust in Jake DeLome. And, you know, you know how I feel about it. I, I can't say I blame him, uh, but you, you have to mix it up a little bit and let him take some shots deep. 
but not, you know, five out of seven plays on a drive. So uh, I didn't like the game plan. I didn't like the execution. So I think the offense probably deserves a D. We'll take a quick break. Uh, In a bit, we'll be talking to the enemy. We'll be talking to Darren Gann of the Rock Hill Herald. But first, right after we return, we'll be looking ahead to game number two versus the Atlanta Falcons. We know you love the Carolina Panthers, so we have more CCR right after this. All-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com is a sports network where diehard fans dish out non-stop sports news and views. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Fandom has no off-season, and neither do we. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. It's time once again for the game that's sweeping the nation. It's time for Boom or Bust. Here's the man that is so awesome to play the game with us. It's Nick Yeoman. Nick, are you ready to play the game, sir? I am ready to play, and you're right, John. I am awesome. Well, bring your physicality. It's time to go. Here we go. Brett Favre versus the Lions. Oh, boy. There's no possible way that the Detroit Lions will be able to slow down Brett Favre, who is also pretty awesome this weekend. Uh, And you want to know why? Well, let's see. The Detroit Lions, they give up 263 passing yards per game. They're 1-7, and they're the Detroit Lions. So, Brett Favre will boom. It's kind of like a one-man team, Steven Jackson versus the Saints. Yeah, and that one-man team, I actually expect to put up some good numbers against the Saints. Uh, while the Rams may not be a good, as good as a team as, say, the Falcons or even the Panthers, Steven Jackson is just as capable of putting up big numbers like Michael Turner and, and D'Angelo did. So there won't be many booms for the Rams this Sunday except for Steven Jackson. Big Ben versus the Bengals. Well, despite having a fantastic 6-2 and two record right now, the weakness on the Bengals' defense is their ability to slow down opposing teams' passing attacks. They have the eighth-worst passing defense in the league, and I think Big Ben Roethlisberger should have no problem picking apart. So I think Big Ben will be a boom. Say that five times fast, boy. Ronnie Brown versus the Bucks. Well, the Buccaneers surrender 163 yards per game on the ground, and the Dolphins run for just over 150. So it's pretty easy to see that for Ronnie Brown and the rest of the Miami Wildcats, are all going to have booming weekends. Tony Romo versus the Packers. You know, I, I expect the Green Bay passing defense to bounce back a bit this weekend. I know the Tampa Bay rookie quarterback Josh Freeman threw for three touchdowns against the Pack, but you better believe that Dom Caper is going to have someone covering Miles Austin to prevent that big play and really limit Tony Romo's success. Uh, the Green Bay defense, I think they step up, and Romo sits down for a bus like weekend. Vincent Jackson versus the Eagles. Well, Vincent Jackson's coming off a huge two-touchdown game against the Giants, but don't expect him to, to find the same type of success against that Philly defense. They did a fairly good job against Miles Austin and Roy Williams, and I don't think they'll have much problems uh, forcing Jackson to bust. Time for our rematch with the Falcons. Michael Turner versus our Panthers. Well, he, Michael Turner should have a big day against the Panthers this Sunday. He ran for a buck fifty against New Orleans two weeks ago. He's coming off a performance of 166 yards against the Skins. I don't think he's going to keep getting even better and better and force the Panthers for something crazy like 180 or 200 yards, but 
you can uh, you can probably rely on him to rack up for 130 and, and a touchdown or two. I really think losing Thomas Davis is going to hurt uh, the Panthers in this department. So Turner will be a boom. One of the NFL's newest studs, D'Angelo Williams versus the Falcons. Yeah, and I haven't seen anything thus far that can stop D'Angelo from having a big weekend, with the exception of the fumbles that have kind of popped up. Atlanta's going to stack the box, which is great for Falcons fans, as long as you bring him down on first and second contact, because if not, it's off to the races for D. Will. So I think he's going to boom against the Falcons, though, and maybe not, maybe not help the Panthers to a win, uh, but he'll play big. Matt Ryan versus our Panthers. Yeah, Matty Ice coming off a pedestrian-like weekend against Washington, which is kind of scary because he hasn't had many back-to-back poor performances in his short career, but I think the Panthers' secondary regroups from what happened in the second half in New Orleans. I think they bounce back, get a little pass rush on, and I think they forced Matt Ryan to have a bus-like game. And finally, Jake DeLome versus the Falcons. Well, it's no longer become whether I think he'll put up big numbers or not. He's just not in the game plan anymore. I know, you know, we like to joke about Jake's relationship with yours truly, but something's wrong with the John Fox, Jake DeLome, Jeff Davidson relationship couple because he hasn't even been given the opportunity to to mess things up the past few weeks. And boy, I, I do like to see that, but I can't see Jake putting up big numbers. It'll be a bust once again. As always, Nick, because you are so awesome, we appreciate you playing the game with us. Hey, thank you, John. I will just sit back and, and you know, chill in my awesomeness. Stay in touch with us by sending us your comments or questions to catcraveradio at gmail.com. That's catcraveradio at gmail.com. Now more CCR. And welcome back to part two of the Panther preview. Still with us is Mr. Nick Yeoman. Nick, one half against New Orleans, but isn't it time finally to see an, a complete game, one final game from this team where they just they play for 60 minutes? Well, I, I would hope so. That's, that's the concerning part is that, you know, they've shown so far, just in the last two weeks, they can play with anybody in this league. I mean, that's they can they can play with anybody. They they put together a pretty darn good performance against Arizona, who I mean showed in their game against the Bears that they're a pretty pretty solid team still. And then uh, with the way that they played against the Saints in the first half, I mean they showed they can play with anybody. But why they don't have that killer instinct to put teams away, or why they don't have that killer instinct like in the Buffalo game or Washington game to jump up big against lesser opponents and put it, put them away uh, is beyond me. I don't know if that falls on coaching or not but yeah I'm, I'm desperately looking for that complete four-quarter performance and uh, to ask for it against a darn good Atlanta Falcon team this Sunday uh, it might be a little too much but uh, you know they know this Atlanta team pretty well and uh, they know what it takes to beat them they have in the past and it's but it's going to be tough all right there are some fans out there I don't know that you are one of them and I, I, I certainly am not but there are fans out there who have well let's just say they've they're they're a little morbid and sometimes they'll wish, like, fine, you know what, lose the rest of your games because I want to see changes made in the off season. Are you one of those fans? No, 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 no. I can't. I can't put myself in that book. On each, I, I, I mean, we've all have those thoughts. We all have those impure thoughts of, well, if anything's ever going to get done, we might as well just lose every game. But. Um, I'll tell you what, a true fan wakes up each Sunday morning, you know, ready for their team to go out and win no matter what the record is. I understand how it works in the NFL. You need really bad failure for any change to come. But I, I look at it this way. Okay, even if the Panthers do tank, they lose the rest of their games, maybe win one or two, the 
coaching staff gets changed, but what about that first-round pick? I, I, it would make me even more sick the worse this team does knowing that uh, that first-round pick could be even better that they got to give up to San Francisco. So, no, I know those fans are out there, and, and I guess I can understand where they're coming from at times, but I, I can't love myself in there. I, I want this team to win every Sunday, and I can't, can't root for them to lose ever. Okay, one guy that I'm really learning that I hate to like is Matt Ryan. I got to admit it. I mean, yeah, he's looking really good, has had some struggles this season, but we can talk about him all day long. But here comes Michael Turner. The guy's had a career the last two weeks. And, you know, our defense has got to face them and do it without Thomas Davis. How are we going to handle those Falcons on Sunday? Uh, I don't know, and I think you touched on it right there. That was what I was going to say is is good luck stopping uh, Michael Turner with Thomas Davis, and now without him, it may be darn near impossible. Boy, yeah, he has. He, he, got a, he was off to a slow start, and I think a lot of people, the critics were coming out where, okay, maybe Michael Turner was just a one-and-done guy, and uh, we're going to see him fall back to the back to the pack with the rest of the average NFL running backs, but he has. He has made his season um, the last two weeks, and that's going to be tough to stop. You know, you mentioned uh, it, you're really growing and, and liking Matt Ryan, and I think it's, it's, it's tough to say that, and I'm kind of in the same breath. i, I got to mention Mike Smith, their, their coach. I mean, the way he got fired up there on the late hit there in the Washington game, I mean, how can these players not love to play for him? And, and, uh, and as you mentioned, as much as it, as sick as it is to, to, to sit there and, and watch what Mike Smith and what he's building around Matt Ryan and Michael Turner, uh, boy, you have to appreciate it and you have to tip your cap to them because they are doing a tremendous job. We're about to go up against a team that uh, has got a really young and a struggling secondary. Their defense is 24th overall. They've got some weaknesses. They've had up moments and a lot of down moments. Uh, We really saw that against Dallas a couple weeks ago. So the Falcons can be had on defense. We just don't have the quarterback to do it with. There's no trust in Jake DeLome right now for the coaching staff. So how are we, I mean, is, is there a way to do this and still hide Jake even though it's the NFL? No, I don't. I don't think you can win by hiding your quarterback. And and you know, from, from talking with me for all these weeks, John, you know that that old Big Nick style of winning football games is just to run it until they can't stop you. And it's been shown though, uh, they'll stack eight in the box. And you know, if you get lucky and D'Angelo Williams can break through the first or second uh, bit of contact and get to the to the third level, he's going to go untouched because there's nobody left because they stack eight in the box. But I don't think you can cover up the lack of passing game. Their weaknesses match up well with our weaknesses, and I don't think it's going to hurt that Falcon defense as much as, as other teams like the New Orleans Saints could hurt them. But it, it should be interesting. The Panthers, they got to they got to run the ball, and they got to find someone else that can step up a wide receiver. I mean, they tried getting Dwayne Jarrett the football. I don't think Moose and Muhammad, even if he does when he comes back, I don't know if he can be that option. I like what we were getting out of Dante Rosario, uh, but no, I don't I don't think you can cover up Jake DeLome anymore and, and expect any more wins. So they got to get something out of the passing game. Maybe throw some some play-action looks and just throw it deep where the worst-case scenario gets thrown over Steve Smith's head and, uh, and nobody can catch it. But I don't really see how they can, uh, they can fix this passing game right now. So it's not sounding real real good right now. Not a whole lot of positive. There's there not a lot of positive things to be said about this team with the injuries, the problems on offense, especially with the receivers, and unfortunately the way Jake has played. So that leads us to the prediction. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> where do we go with this one? 
I don't like I don't like our chances. I really don't. I mean, it's going to be great to to go back for the team to come back home and play in front of a hopefully a pumped up crowd. Hopefully, the Bank of America Stadium will be rocking. I have a feeling it won't be though, uh, knowing that place and and uh, and the fan situation with with how those fans don't really like rooting for a losing team. Uh, I, I just think Atlanta's got a little too many weapons. I think they're kind of hitting their stride. They looked really good last week, and they looked pretty good even in that loss to New Orleans two weeks ago on Monday night. And, uh, and boy, Matt Ryan is, is really turning into a fantastic quarterback. And with Michael Turner emerging and their defense matching up as well as they do against the Panthers, uh, I don't have as good a feeling about this one as I did heading into the New Orleans game. Even though Carolina came up short, I thought the Panthers had a chance to win that one. I really, really just don't see it happen. And the Panthers can play with anybody, and, and I'm sure at times they'll look like they can give Atlanta a game and maybe even pull out a victory. But uh, I'm going to have to take the Falcons here, John. Well, can we talk you into sticking around to uh, pick some games for us? I have to, John. That's about the only good part of my week is, <laughs> is talking about the boomer bust and the pick because I, uh, oh boy, this team is, is frustrating myself along with the other Panther fans. This is Cat Crave Radio. We are joined now by Darren Gant of the Rock Hill Herald. Darren, thanks for joining us. Anytime, John. How are you, buddy? Doing great, Darren. Um, I hope you are, too. And after this first half, the first half of the season, now that it's in the books, looking back, and this is uh, uh, this stat right here blows my mind. Last year, the team was 5-0 and in games that were decided by four points or less. Now, this year, they've only played one game that was decided by that margin, and they've lost five games by seven points or more. Why such a turnaround in one year? Well, I think, you know, it goes back to what we've talked about through a lot of the first half. I mean, you, when you've got the ultimate John Fox team is designed to clutch and grab and keep things close, and he sort of built the team that way on purpose when he came here in 02 because they weren't very talented. The problem is now they got a whole talent and they're still built that way. They, they play games designed to keep things close. You see things like Sunday where, you know, I was kind of joking about it in the blog at, at our website – it was almost as if when the second half of that game started in New Orleans, how long can they hold their breath? Because they got a lead and they, you know, Jake DeLone was running the four corners offense better than anybody since Phil Ford. And it, you could just tell they weren't trying to aggressively pursue more points. I mean, they were hoping that 17-6 was going to stand up, but I don't think it's very realistic against New Orleans, not when they're averaging 39 a game. So, it's, um, you know, I think that's a lot of it. When you talk about the turnovers, obviously, with Jake in the first six games, you know, that was a, a big part of it, too, because they got in some games that got away from them a little bit. So, you know, I just think the easiest way to sum it up is the first half of the season was a mess, and, and nobody could really have seen it coming the way it came. Okay, now speaking of Jake, and I saw your column about the passing game, the the stats just, I mean, these numbers don't add up, especially to W's too often. So Jake, a problem with him, is there something going on? And then, I know there are fans that want him gone, but how realistic can we be when we say that it's possible Jake is history? I don't know. I mean, and again, I know I'm on one end of this argument, and I think your view of Jake DeLome is probably colored by how much of him you see. I mean, I talk with national writers all the time who parachute in here two or three times a year, and, you know, several of them don't have very kind nicknames for Jake. And, you know, the funny thing about it is I just keep going back. 
I can't believe that the guy just woke up last January and turned into a pumpkin. He has been a pretty good NFL quarterback for most of the last six years, and to just imagine that he woke up last January and turned into a pumpkin seems unreasonable to me. I mean, the guy is, you know, still doing things essentially the same way. I think there were there were some changes this off season that you know messed with him a little bit, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Rip Scherer came in here and started tinkering with mechanics and I think that might have been a mistake because Jake's never been a mechanical quarterback he's never been a guy who you'd point to and say boy I wish my kid threw exactly like Jake Delhomme and all of a sudden he's worrying about release points and footwork and arm angles and such as that you know Jake's always been at his best when he gets in a little trouble and slides out of the pocket and sort of side arms one to Steve running across the middle or something like that. So, you know, I think they got in his head a little bit too much because I think his problems the first half of the year have a lot more to do with head than arm. And, you know, I just think he got to be a snowball at a certain point because in so many of those games, you start, it's like a gambler when he's double enough to catch up. And instead of catching up, he was getting farther and farther behind exponentially rather than arithmetically. So, it's just been a mess. I don't. I don't know why. I think it's hard to put one simple reason on why Jake struggled the first half of the season. But the interesting thing about the last two weeks is he hadn't made the big mistakes, but he also hadn't made the plays. And I think of all the stats with Jake, I think the one you can look at that'll give you the clearest idea of how he's playing is yards per pass attempt. And if it's up on the other side of seven, seven and a quarter. You know, that's pretty good. Things are going well for Jake DeLong. Right now, he's at 6.62. And, you know, again, that's basically two feet. That's two-thirds of a yard's difference, and it doesn't sound like much. But when you look at the way the passes are coming, he's on pace. Other than 2006, which was just a ridiculous year for a lot of reasons, you know, he's on pace for a low on 20-yard pass plays. You know, and basically most of the other passing staff because of that. Well, you know, we've talked about that, the overcoaching, possibly overcoaching him and maybe showing him, oh, here's a new drill, Jake, and I would like you to change the way you move your feet around, all this stuff. I mean, showing him new techniques is one thing, but in the last two weeks, and you mentioned this just now, and and I, I think it raises a good question. If Jake is being told, don't go out there and screw this up now. You know, we've got a lead or we're close. If instead of him being told, you know, Jake, just go play ball, if he's being told don't screw up, I mean, is is he overthinking it and just saying, you know, I don't want to turn the ball over instead of just doing what he's supposed to do, which is rearing back and letting the ball go? Well, I think there's a certain element of that, and I think there's an insightful column coming up on that very topic in Wednesday's Rock Hill Herald, John, so uh, <laughs> I think you should check that out. And not to give away the whole thing, but I think if you're going to decide you're going to play Jake DeLong, at a certain level, you've got to let Jake be Jake. And I think he has been overcoached uh, really the entire second or first half of this season, particularly the last couple games, because you can tell. I mean, he had, I think it was 12 pass attempts through the first three quarters of a game. And keeping Jake's pass attempts down is usually a good thing. I mean, we ran a stat last week that through his career, when going into New Orleans, he was 58-38 all-time as a starter. He was 45-8 and when he throws it fewer than 30 times in a game. And I think that's pretty telling because he's always been a guy who needs a good running game around him, who needs to make plays via play action, which is off that run game. And, you know, if you get in a game where Jake DeLong's throwing it 35, 40 times, 
that's not going to be good. I mean, he was 13 and 30 in those games, now 13 and 31 when he throws it 30 times or more. So, you know, as much as you want to limit what he does, I think in trying to protect him a little bit, they've taken away some of the things he's best at. I mean, there were no downfield looks for Steve really until that game was too late when they were already down 10 at that point. So, I mean, I just, you know, I just think they've, in trying to protect him, they've really done him a disservice in terms of, you know, taking away the thing he's been best at over the course of the years. And the side effect of that also is you've made Steve Smith mad. And I don't know how good at lip reading you anybody listening to this is, but you don't have to be very good at it to understand that Steve wasn't crazy about some of the play calls in that Saints game. And, you know, he's getting a little frustrated, and that's not good for anybody. It's kind of like the old, if Mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Well, if 89's not happy, you know, there's going to be some problems for a lot of people in that building. Well, I'll give you a couple of statements. You tell me if you agree or disagree. All right. The first one is... John Fox saves his job with an 8-8 eight and eight or better record. I agree. I just think because to get to 8-8, eight and eight, given the schedule they've got to play the second half of the year, they're going to have to play some pretty good football. And I think, you know, based on his track record and what he's shown us with making a bunch of other decisions, Jerry Richardson's a lot more interested in trends than simple numbers. And, you know, if they're playing good enough football to get to 8-8, eight and eight, then I think John Fox has done something right with this bunch. Okay, and then Dwayne Jarrett. Here's a guy in, in training camp. I mean, and you were standing there with us too. You heard him say he felt like the light had gone on, but we've still seen him struggle. He continues to have a hard time out there. Has he already ensured his exit from Charlotte? Uh, I disagree with that. I think, you know, in a lot of ways the question's kind of moot because it's going to be another week or two at least before Mustaine Muhammad's back out on the field. And I don't know if it's even worth putting him back out on the field other than for a victory lap because, you know, it's obvious that that guy's lost the step. It's obvious he's not part of the equation in 2010 and beyond. So, you know, I think the rest of the season you got to figure out what you've got in, Mo- or, uh, in Dwayne and Kenny Moore. And, and you know what? If Dwayne catches that ball that falls right between his hands going down the right sideline Sunday against the Saints, you know, you're going to look at his numbers, and they're going to be pretty impressive considering the amount of times they threw in that game. So, you know, it's just Dwayne's kind of a, uh, I don't know, it's just a confusing situation because if you watch him in practice and you talk to guys who are around him every day, you think that light has come on. You think Dwayne is getting it. You think he is about to break out. But then the game comes around, and, and whether it's the combination of not throwing that often or, you know, some fault of Dwayne's, he's not making the kind of plays that they need to have made on the other side. And then quickly, what headline do you think you're going to be writing when this season is over? Well, I think, you know, there's going to be changes of some degree. I don't know that they're necessarily going to be coach GM, but I think you're going to see a, a pretty significant change in the face of that offense. I think there are – I think you're looking at at least two new wide receivers coming in this offseason to supplement Steve Smith, whether Dwayne and Kenny Moore stay or not. I think you're you're possibly looking at, you know, getting some younger legs on that offensive line. I think Kedrick Vincent's been good, but I think he's a guy, you know, obviously his contract's up, but I think that's a place maybe you can upgrade, and there's going to be some tweaks. The biggest thing is it's the same elephant in the room as we dealt with last offseason. That's what you do with Julius Peppers. Franchise him again for $20 million, let him walk, or tag him and try to move him in some kind of trade. Uh, you know, that's going to be central to everything they do. If 
if everything falls as it happens and they go into next year uncapped, as most people expect they're going to, I mean, certainly you could stomach $20 million for Julius. I don't think anybody wants to do that, but, you know, I think you could. And, you know, maybe keeping Julius is the right thing to do. I mean, if you look at the way the defense is played, you know, when he's been on, I think you can certainly make a case for it. But $20 million is a big check to write especially when you think about some of the other price tags. I mean, everybody's kind of clamoring for John Fox to be fired at the moment, but if you fire him, you're going to pay him $6.5 million to do TV next year. So, it's um, you know, there's some hard decisions to be made, and I think they're going to be made starting at the very top of that organization. And the elephant in the room, uh, speaking of that, Gary Barnage, you know, this whole... The whole Spartanburg. Gary's starting to make a few plays for you. I don't know that you're going to get to 40 catches or or whatever it was this year, but Gary's made some plays downfield. And, you know, as ridiculous as it is, the number two receiver on this team right now is the number two tight end, Gary. And, you know, that's because the number one tight end is the number three fullback behind the number four running back and the number six guard. But, you know, I mean, that's just kind of the ridiculous spot they're in right now with some of the injuries at fullback and tight end. But, Gary's played well in recent weeks, and, you know, as much as anybody, he's kind of proven, you know, he's a reliable target for Jake downfield. Uh, The one catch he made the other day down in New Orleans reminded me so much of watching Jake throw the bucket drills when Dan Henning was still here, because as much as everybody wants to beat up Jake, that was a perfectly dropped ball, you know, right into the one spot it could have gone. So, you know, Gary's been there to make a few plays for Jake downfield, kind of the way a lot of people anticipated Rosario doing this year. Well, when he comes up short, I, I mean, I can, I'll make you a deal. I'll buy you a Big Mac. How, how will that work? Yeah, something like that. We'll we'll figure out what you owe me on this one, John. <laughs> All right. Well, Darren, we do appreciate you being with us. Darren Gant of the Rock Hill Herald. Darren, thanks again. You got it, John. Anytime, bud. There's still more to come. Stay with us for more CCR. Amanda, age three. Tyler, age eight. Marissa. Age four and a half. We could tell you just how many child abductions last year led to Amber Alerts, but this isn't about cold statistics. It's about saving kids. Shaniqua, age 14. To get free Amber Alerts on your cell phone, go to wirelessamberalerts.org. When an alert is issued in your area, you'll receive it as a free text message. Wirelessamberalerts.org. A child is calling for help. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Time once again to pick some games. Joining us is Nick Yeoman. Nick had kind of a rough week last week, getting seven right, six wrong. Yeoman, having kind of yeah. a rough one, are you? I, I, I didn't I didn't stick to the game plan, John. I should have just ran the ball, ran the ball, and I decided to just throw it all over the place. And when you just throw it all over the place, you throw up all over your picks. And I guess that's why I finished seven and six. Boy, had a rough one last week. But you are 86-43 and 43 overall for the season. Not so bad. Uh, we head into Week 10. We'll start you off with Bears and Niners. Yeah, and, and both of these teams have, have tumbled quite a bit, just like my picks. After promising starts of the season, Chicago's probably the most surprising of the two. I really thought that Jay Cutler would be a difference maker for the Bears. He just hasn't been that so far, so I think I'm going to take San Francisco at home. Lions and Vikings. Oh, this one shouldn't even be close. In fact, if I mess this one up, then uh, 
and boy, maybe I should retire. That was that was a tough way to lose one last week, blowing a big lead against Seattle. The, the way the Lions lost, and Minnesota's coming off their bye week. They should uh, they should bounce back nicely with a big win over Detroit. Bengals and Steelers. Well, both of these teams playing really good football right now, and this may become a game where the special players step up and step up big and shine for their teams. I don't think I don't think the impact of Troy Polamalu on the Steelers defense can truly be appreciated. He plays big, and I think the Steelers win and take first place in the AFC North. Jaguars and Jets. Well, it's hard to believe that Jacksonville is actually sitting at 500. I mean, they really haven't played anyone and beaten anyone yet. But hey, as a fan of a team that's sitting at three and five, I can't really hate on them too much. I expect the Jets though to bring their A game and hand Jacksonville loss number five. I think this is the week Mark Sanchez bounces back and uh, and starts looking like a good quarterback. The Saints and the Rams. Oh boy, this this one's going to get ugly early. The Saints showed last week that they didn't even need the first half to come back and beat the Panthers. And to be honest, I think all they're going to need is about four or five decent big plays to beat St. Louis. I think New Orleans wins this one big and easy. The Bills and the Titans. How about Vince Young and those Tennessee Titans after just an awful start to the season? They've won two straight, and now they get Buffalo, who should lay over. And, and I think they'll let Tennessee pick up that third win of the season. And the Titans... All of a sudden, surging just a bit. The Bucks and the Dolphins. Well, it's another interesting matchup between two less than stellar teams from the state of Florida. The Buccaneers, you know, probably riding high after beating Green Bay, picking up win number one. But I think it's back to earth uh, for Josh Freeman that Miami running game. I don't think it can be stopped, especially by Tampa Bay this Sunday. So Landshark Stadium should be a rockin'. I think the Finns pick up a win. Broncos and Redskins. Well, Denver has dropped two straight, and they need some answers. They need to answer a few questions about that offense. Washington is full of problems, though, and even though they're at home, Denver should be the team that gets back to their winning ways. I'm going to take the Broncos. Chiefs and Raiders. Yeah, here we go. Two of the AFC West best teams going at it this Sunday. Ugh, I mean, I think Kansas City, I think they respond well after the releasing of Larry Johnson. Maybe that can do some good things for the locker room, and I think that hot seat for Raiders coach Tom Cable just keeps getting hotter, so I'm going to take the Chiefs here. Cowboys and Packers. Yeah, as much as it pains me to say, I gotta say it. How about them Cowboys? Man, uh, Dallas playing great, and they're playing pretty, and they're beating pretty darn good teams like Philadelphia, like Atlanta. Green Bay's loss to Tampa Bay was just inexcusable, and I think it's going to be a little bit more understandable when they lose to, to Dallas on Sunday. I'm going to take the Cowboys. Seahawks and Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals are about as up and down as, as you're ever going to see in the NFL, and I wonder if a quarterback has ever tossed. Five interceptions and then follow it up the next week uh, with five touchdowns the way Kurt Warner did. I'm not sure, but I think Arizona will not have a problem beating Seattle on Sunday. Eagles and Chargers. Well, San Diego finally got that marquee win last Sunday after they beat a Giants team that is struggling. But a win is still a win. Uh, I don't think they beat Philadelphia, though, on Sunday. The Eagles, they need Brian Westbrook back for long-term success. But I think they can still win and beat San Diego without him this Sunday. Patriots and Colts. Patriots and Colts, is this matchup the greatest rivalry in sports today? I mean, right now, I mean, I, I think it is. Duke Carolina's big. Uh, the Yankees Red Sox is as big as ESPN tells us it should be. Uh, but this may be the best rivalry right now. I think this one goes to New England. The Colts have some key injuries in the secondary, which should mean some big numbers for Brady, Moss, Welker. Uh, so i got to take the Patriots here on the road. Ravens and Browns. Yeah, thank you, NFL schedule makers, for hoping and praying that Cleveland hosting a primetime Monday night game would seem smart. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. I don't. I don't expect ratings to be too good for this one. I think Baltimore wins pretty easily. And I hate to do it again, Falcons and Panthers. 
Yeah, I know. We always, you know, we, we, we touch on these picks one last time, and boy, when I keep picking the Panthers to lose, it's not that much fun to touch on it. I just think Matt Ryan, Michael Turner, uh, Mike Smith, they've got a great game plan. I just don't know if the Panthers' one-dimensional offense uh, can carry them to a win over a team like Atlanta. So as much as it pains me to do it, got to go with the Falcons, John. Well, Nick, we will continue to keep score, sir. Thanks for picking the games. Hey, it's been great, John. Hopefully I can turn it around and win some this week. There is no off-season in the NFL, so why should there be an off-season in covering your Panthers? That's why we're here. Welcome back to CCR. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, John White, and we've added a new method for you to stay in touch with us. You can now call us on the Cat Crave Radio hotline. Call 206-350-9673 and leave us a message. We'd like to hear your thoughts on the team or on the show. Good, bad, indifferent, we don't care as long as you talk to us. Tell us what's on your mind. Call 206-350-9673. Keep your friends close, but your enemies close. Here's Turner countering and a nice move. 45-40, Michael Turner, 20, 15, 10, touchback, 5, touchdown Atlanta. It's time to hear from the enemy. It's time to hear from Sean McNally representing the Atlanta Falcons. Sean is the lead writer at bloggingdirty.com. Sean, thanks for joining us. Absolutely a pleasure, anytime. All right, your Falcons started off really hot. Suddenly, they had back-to-back losses against Dallas and New Orleans, both on the road. Was the win against Washington and the way that the Falcons pulled that out, was that win enough to get this team back on track? I mean, when you look at it, look at the teams we lost to. We lost to two quality teams. I don't like to don't like to give a lot of benefit or a lot of you know hype to uh, to Dallas, but let's face it, they're a good quality team right now with Miles Austin and with uh, Tony Roma throwing the ball as effectively as he is. And when it comes down to it, they lost fair and square to the New Orleans Saints. I can't I can't take anything against either one of those things, but I think everyone can agree that we took the Saints to the limit, and I'm really, really proud of that. There's no moral victories in the NBA, in the NFL, but it was close. Well, we know, and we've watched him enough to see that, that Michael Turner really is the real deal, but the last two weeks, this guy has been running people over. Um, I mean, he's playing extremely well, but is there anything that you can contribute that to, a change in him, a change in the offensive line? I mean, why suddenly did he just break out in the last two weeks? down to it, I think what everyone really saw was the first six weeks of the season is him getting over carrying the ball for 460 times or whatever the heck the number was. It was insane. You look at the the numbers that the guy put up last year, and if it weren't for the, you know, (laughs) just absolutely astonishing player of uh, the caliber of uh, of Adrian Peterson, he would have been the, the top running back last year. You look at things like that, and on all those carries and all that punishment that the NFL is going to give you is going to take its toll on your body. And I think that the first few weeks were the proof of that. But the last couple of weeks, he's had a position where, one, you know, we're depleted at running back. We don't have Jarius Norwood due to post-concussion syndrome right now. We've had to deal with uh, Obi Mahaley missing a little bit of time. You've had uh, other guys coming in and, and doing, you know, okay, we've kind of filling in, whatever. He doesn't have a choice. We need a running back. We need a running game to keep the pressure off of Matt Ryan. And so he had to step up. And uh, it's just tribute, basically, to how good he really is. 
that he could come in and absolutely run over the opposition, scoring, you know, what, four touchdowns now and 300 rushing yards in the last two games. I mean, those are incredible numbers. I don't care who you are. But, uh, you know, it's just lack of, lack of choice. He had to come in. I told everybody during the Dallas game when I was watching the, the Falcons, you know, getting outplayed in most facets of the game, I said, watch, Michael Turner next week will turn it on. And everyone said, oh, come on, he's over, he's tired. No, watch. And he did. And and I knew why he had to was because he had no other choice. That team is too good, and he respects himself way too much to let himself go down like that. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, a guy that's basically alone without the backup, you know, it'd be like D'Angelo without Jonathan. I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean there. And you've got a pretty young team there, though, still. Um, an offense, uh, and, and I know you and I have talked about this, about your offensive line being a young group. Your defense really is pretty much the same, I mean, especially that secondary, and they've been up oh, and yeah. down, 27th against the, against the pass, 24th against the run, and 24th overall. Up and down, and you see flashes of really good play, and then times when things aren't quite as solid with that group. Do you think that they are now what they should be, with the people they have, or do you think that they they have some fixes to, to in order to, to get all of their issues straightened out? Well, you know, when it comes down to it, I think it's really this. We have great talent. They're just really, really young. And especially, you know, positions like cornerback, you know, they don't usually come into the league and light the world on fire. It doesn't usually happen. And when it comes into it, you know, you have good players. You have good quality players. We've had injury issues out the wazoo at the cornerback position specifically. Um, we've lost guys um, like uh, Chris Williams to injuries. You know, we have problems. We have issues. But they have, because we have so much depth, and in my honest opinion, such great coaching, that we can overcome it. And, and this team is where it should be. I think that, you know, our secondary is definitely not great. I won't tell anybody they're going to go up against the Denver Broncos. We don't have Champ Bailey. We don't, you know, we don't have quality players like that. But when it comes down to it, who does outside of Denver and the player who has the team who has whatever player? It's it's an issue where we have good talent. It's going to take a time to go ahead and actually come to fruition. But I'll put my money right down right now for Chris Houston. I think he's a good quality cornerback in two years. I think he's a good quality cornerback now. He just needs to continue to develop and learn and gain experience and become the player that he's supposed to be. I'm not going to say he's going to become Deion Sanders, but I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to definitely keep us in the game and, and keep you know good quality receivers from destroying us. Well, you guys, still, this is a very young team, and it's some very important positions in particular, and we all know this name, and believe you me, we've heard the name more than we want to, and that's Matt Ryan. Um, but now, in his rookie season, I mean, he, sure, he only threw, I think, 16 touchdown passes, but also limited the mistakes, had only 10 interceptions. He's already, though, got 10 this year through the first half of the season. Could this be a bit of a sophomore slump for him? For a guy that talented is never going to be as bad as it would be if the guy wasn't as as gifted. And the fact of the matter is, is that they've put a lot more pressure on Matt Ryan to deliver and to deliver big games 
in big games this year. You look at games that we've played early in the season, even games we've won. You know, a game that comes to mind is the game uh, in week one versus Miami. We put a lot of pressure on Matt Ryan to go ahead and win that game for us. He came through. But, you know, when you put in a position where we really kind of just run into issues and, and, and obstacles with other teams and they're stopping our running game, they're stopping everything we're trying to do, well, put it on quarterback's hands and let him go ahead and, and see what he can do. And sometimes you're going to throw more interceptions. He's so talented, and when it comes down to it, he's so smart, and our coaching is so good. Mike Smith is not going to let Matt Ryan do anything that he can't do. And at this point so far, I haven't seen a whole lot of anything that that guy cannot do. Here's our rematch, and you guys are finally coming to our place. Let's hear your prediction. Is this the same as the first meeting, or do you think it's going to be a little different? Well, if, if you took this game three weeks ago, you might have a better chance. If this were not you know, Michael Turner coming back on in a big, big way. And at this point, until I see you know, proof otherwise, I have no reason to believe that the anger and the ferocity of our offensive line and the just absolute amazing stuff that Michael Turner showed us the last couple of weeks, that it won't continue. That defense for the Panthers is good. I'll never take anything away from him. I think John Beeson's still an incredible middle linebacker. I love him. But our offensive line will open up holes, and Matt Ryan will slice and dice you guys. Our receiving core is just better than your secondary at this point, and we have such desire to go in and just absolutely stomp on the competition that, you know what, 28-20 was the last game. I wouldn't be surprised if we put up 35 on your team this week. But at the same time, you never underestimate a John Fox coached anything. That, that The running back tandem is still great. I can't say anything bad about you guys. I just think we're a superior team at this point. Well, you've got to stick with your home team, I guess, but... Uh... Sean, we do appreciate you being with us this week. Uh, Sean McNally, bloggingdirty.com, if you want to catch up with uh, what the enemy is up to before we uh, have Atlanta into our house this week. Sean, thanks for joining us. Thank you again. Okay, Falcons fans have got to be going into this game feeling pretty good. Why not? Saints fans have to be feeling really good this week after the Panthers handed them a victory as much as the Saints won the game. You want to know why this was a loss? Well, I wonder why. Critical point of the game number one. 4.51 to go, third quarter, Carolina leading 17-13 in the midst of a 19-play drive. First and goal at the one-yard line. The Panthers called their first time out in a close game. The result? A busted play and Jake DeLome has to eat the ball, losing six yards. Second down. Terrell Sutton off right tackle for one yard. Third down. Jake can't hook up with D'Angelo Williams in the end zone, and Carolina settles for a field goal. Seven plays later, the Saints tie the game at 20. Critical point of the game number two. Panthers start the quarter first down at their own 20, with the game tied at 20. They've been running the ball well against New Orleans. What do they do? After a false start, Jake is allowed to throw on five out of the seven plays the team would hold the ball on the possession. The result? A punt. Fourteen plays later, New Orleans would take a 23-20 lead. You know, we can be critical of the team for running the ball excessively. Still, the running game is our biggest strength. 
But criticism of the draw play has come from every possible corner, and maybe that's deserved, since it's the answer to everything. Third down, draw play. Second and long, draw play. But where I can't complain about the team being conservative is when the running game is working. You got the Saints on the ropes. You've beaten them up with the ground game all day. Why stop now? Jake has struggled all season, so if you want to keep the ball out of his hands, do exactly what's working. Run the football. Even if you don't gain a yard, at least the clock keeps moving, unlike what happens on an incomplete pass. The play calling has simply not made much sense. Not against New Orleans, not all season. For the first time, I'm ready to call out Jeff Davidson. There was a time when the offense looked okay. Not anymore. And your management of the game has been atrocious. Pack your bag, Davidson. I'm done with you. Will the calls from the sidelines into Jake's helmet be any better this week? I'm not counting on it. My prediction, Atlanta 30, Carolina 17. Before we go this week, something touching. We take our calls on the Cat Crave Radio hotline. Most of the time, someone is complaining about Jake, saying that Fox has to be fired. Maybe even the rare, really, really jacked up Saints fan, but no... No, this time, it was a call from someone who thinks that an individual on this show is pretty darn special. Hey, Big Nick, this is 8771 Malcolm Crosby from YouTube. Just thought I might give you a call. Um, what's going on, man? I mean, you're one of my favorite video makers on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to me. I subscribe to you. Anyways, that's all I gotta say for you, man. You're awesome. Bye. At the risk of ruining this beautiful moment, I'd like to remind anyone listening that if you would like to call in, you can also tell Big Nick that you think he's awesome, and you can tell us what you think about the team. The number for that Cat Crave Radio hotline is 206-350-9673. Again, the number is 206-350-9673. I want to thank Darren Gant for joining us this week. Be sure to read all of Darren's work over at the Rock Hill Herald. My thanks to Sean McNally for being with us to represent this week's enemy. Sean can be found on the web at bloggingdirty.com. As always, our appreciation to Nick Yeoman for helping out. Nick's videos can be found on YouTube by searching for Big Nick 2700. We couldn't put this thing together each week without you, Yeoman. You truly are awesome. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter. We're listed there as, well, how else? Cat Crave Radio. Be sure to take advantage of the Cat Crave Radio hotline. You can tell Nick he's awesome. You could curse at me if you wanted to. Call us and leave a message. Tell us what you think of the team or the show. The number is 206-350-9673. Once again, for you guys out there that want to talk to Nick, 206-350-9673. I'm John White. Thanks again for listening. We hope to be back inside of your listening device once again next week with another edition of Cat Crave Radio. In a world dominated by media giants and conglomerates, there is a little show that dares to reach for greatness. And we promise to keep reaching as long as there's someone listening. Never fear, CCR will return.
Your Panthers crew will return in one week with another assault on the World Wide Web. All material copyright 2009, Cat Crave Radio. Stand and cheer for the Panthers in our grand old name. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina for a Panther football game.